0: possible to survive the boss from hell without quitting your job or selling your soul? Hi, my name is Ken Williams and I'm a certified life coach and a master of connecting with people. I've had a lot of bad bosses because who hasn't? And I'm the host of the Bad Boss Podcast, a podcast where we explore ways to improve relationships at work so that you can survive the boss from hell. So join me as we delve into the ins and outs of working with people that you never wanted to be friends with. If you're hoping to reduce your work stress and increase your job satisfaction when it seems impossible, this is the podcast for you. Get ready to discover the power of untoxic positivity and learn how to survive the boss from hell. And happy Monday. Uh, I know that if you're watching this live, it's not Monday, but that's okay. We're getting ready for Monday. And then for the rest of you, happy Monday, whatever day you're, <laughs> you're listening to this. Happy Monday. Um, I'm going to make a change on what I had said I was going to talk about this week and what I'm actually going to talk about this week. Last week, I said that we were going to talk about how to know if it's time to break up with the boss. And I was reaching out to one of my connections who I thought would be a great uh, addition to the podcast. He would have some stories and some things to share. But he's sick today, so <laughs> that is not going to happen today. So instead, I'm going to share some things about the um, the behavior model that I referenced a few weeks ago, and spend a little bit more time. I <laughs> got some feedback a few days ago. Don't forget to tell us about this. So here it is. We'll talk about it, and then next week, hopefully, it'll all work out. We can have a guest next week learning about when is it uh, time to break up with the with the bad boss. So the behavior model, this is, there are a lot of different behavior models. This is one that that my dad shared with me as I was growing up. I've listened to the um, the presentation. I like it. It resonates with me. I think there's value in understanding it. And I'll share some things about how that affects or how, that, how you, you can use that in your interactions with a bad boss uh, a little bit later on. But I want to kind of set the framework for the model. the The model is... And I don't know if there's a name for this model. The the person that I learned about it from is, his name is Hiram Smith. He is, if you can remember back in the days when we had paper planners, he was the Franklin part of Franklin Covey. Before Franklin and uh, Covey merged, it was Franklin Day Planners. And Hiram was the, the CEO, I believe, or the president of the company for the Franklin Day Planners. He merged and and he presented this model it's I believe there's a YouTube video that goes through the, the whole presentation. Um, if I find that I will link it into the show notes on the the podcast feed but uh, here's the the sh- basic structure of the model. you may have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I'm not going to list through all, list all of the needs that he has. I think the basic needs that uh, at least that we're going to be concerned with as far as this, this episode is concerned, there are going to be four needs that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the need to survive, one of our primary needs. We will do almost anything to survive. Second need is to love and be loved. We have this, this um, uh, urging in our, uh, in, our, in our biology to find, most of us do anyways, to find somebody that we connect with so we can express and receive love. Uh, this is one of the reasons that we have friendships as well. So, and that's so that we can love and be loved. The third or a third need is the the need to feel important. This is one of the reasons that we might promote or one of the reasons that we might um, go above and beyond and so that we get kudos and that sort of thing. It's the need to feel important. A fourth need is the need for variety. We... <laughs> if we didn't have this need for variety, it would be simple. Just eat boiled potatoes every day for every meal. And at some point that would get so old that, um, in fact, I think that it may be a weight loss strategy. I think I've heard about that, that you just get to the point where you don't feel like eating because it's so boring. It's so bland. There's nothing to it. So for those four basic needs, four needs, everything we do, everything we do, every one of our behaviors is designed to meet one or more of those four basic needs now there's a part of the model that I'm skipping I'm going to skip over it just for a minute talk a little bit more about the behavior the behavior that we that we these are the things that we do the behaviors that we do like I said they're designed to meet our needs and those behaviors have results so the results there are two different types of results there may be more I could probably we can split hairs, but there are immediate results and there are long-term results. When I talk about results, as it relates to this model, I'm talking about the long-term results. I'm not talking about immediate results, though there are some immediate results sometimes that that may fit this model. But the long-term results, that's what we're talking about. Now, the critical part of this model is the part that I skipped. It's right between the needs, these four basic needs, and the behaviors. There's something that Hiram calls a belief window. So if you imagine a window, glass window pane you can see through it, but the belief window f- filters what we see. So if you can imagine there's something on the other side of this window and let's just call that the truth. There's a puppy or there's a uh, the mailman or there's grass or there's trees or f- a fruit basket or whatever whatever it is. We'll we'll call that the truth. And then everything that we see is through the, the this filter of uh, the belief window. There's a joke <laughs> that I've heard about a woman who gets up every day and she complains about her neighbors. And her, her neighbors, this poor woman, can't do anything right. She's not a good housekeeper. She's not good at doing laundry, for example. The laundry is always dirty. And every day she would complain. She would just observe to her husband that the neighbor, poor neighbor, she just not a very good, uh, not a very good at laundry. There she is putting up laundry again. It's just dull and dingy. And if she would just do things right. Well, one day she came out and she just observed that the, the neighbor, I don't know, she, she figured it out. Her brighter, her laundry is bright and, and uh, clean as opposed to how it's been dull and dingy. And her husband said, yeah, I just, I washed the windows. So this, this woman was seen, dull, dingy laundry, assuming that that was true, but really what was true was that the laundry was clean. She was filtering that information through this dirty window. So think about that. That's what our belief window is. It's filtering everything that we see. So what we see, what we think we see is not what's really there. It's our mental interpretation of what's really there. So you may see a sweet, cuddly puppy, somebody else, who maybe was attacked by a dog in their younger years, sees a vicious animal. It's the same thing, but the person who sees the cuddly animal is going to have one, even a physical response. They're going to get excited and want to go pet and cuddle the dog. And the person who maybe was attacked by a dog even years before may see that same animal and and have a panic reaction that this is a dangerous situation. The situation isn't dangerous, but that's what they see. And this happens for us all the time. And when I say all the time, I mean, 100% of the time, everything we see is not the truth. Everything we see is filtered through this this window of our beliefs. If we believe that something is a way, we believe that the dog is vicious, we're going to behave those behaviors in order to to meet those needs for self-preservation or whatever. Our behavior is going to be different based on the beliefs on that belief window. So um, this is an interesting thing, and and if you think about, this is true for every belief, every single belief. And so if you explore, may I take take a few minutes and really think about what some of your deep internal beliefs are. One of mine. This is one that I have. Uh, recognize about myself uh, for many, many years is it's important to get the best deal. Somehow it's important to get the best the best deal. Not sure where that came from. It could be from my parents, could be from who knows. So I go to the buffet. I'm going to go to um, Golden Corral, I guess, is one of the only buffets around here. There's one down the street from my house called The Journey. Buffet, $15 lunch. So if I'm going to get the best deal and I don't have a coupon... Which sometimes I'll find those. My behavior is going to support that belief. On my belief window, that it's important to get the best deal. So I go through the line. I get my plate full of food. I eat it. My belief is I've got to get the best deal. Now that plate, that one plate was fifteen dollars. If I go through the line a second time, now two plates for fifteen dollars. I'm now at seven fifty a plate. Much better deal. So based on that belief you can predict and you'd be pretty accurate that my behavior will be, I'm going to go get a second plate. Now, if I'm not bursting at the seams, I may go get a third plate because three plates for $15, that's now $5 a plate as opposed to $15 a plate. And if I get really hungry, maybe I'll have five plates. The math is easier that way. That's why I skipped four. So five plates, that's only $3 a plate. For the same $15. So the belief that I have on my belief window that it's important to get the best deal, maybe that belief is designed to help me survive. Uh, because the more the better deal I get, I have more resources for other things. And that behavior of going through the buffet line four, five, six times is designed to meet my need to survive or to feel important. It could be one or it could be multiple needs. Variety. Variety for sure at a buffet. I don't always get (laughs) repeats of the foods. Um, What did I talk about? Variety, feel important, love and be loved, and then uh, uh, the need to survive. So go back to the the results. Remember, we've got results at the end end of this model. The results, we're talking about long-term results. So the immediate result is I got a great deal. I did... (laughs) Five plates for $3 a plate. That's a bargain for the amount of food that I can fit on five of those. They're huge plates. But we're not talking about short-term or immediate needs or immediate results. We're talking about long-term results. So what is the long-term result of me consistently going through the buffet line five times every time I go to the buffet? Maybe obesity, maybe diabetes, maybe uh, heart disease, maybe um, <laughs> it could be all sorts of health problems, most likely. And the result of this belief is not meeting my need to survive. Therefore, that belief that is important to get the best deal possible, not a good belief it's an incorrect or an incomplete or um an invalid probably i think the word that i like the best is it's an incomplete belief you can call it in, an incorrect belief as well it's just not uh it's not helpful it's not the belief that's really going to help support what i want to accomplish i mentioned um early about the dog this is an example that hiram uses in his um in his presentation that if you have a a Fear. Suppose you were bitten by a dog when you were a kid. And so now you have a belief that dogs, universally, dogs are vicious. And you see a dog, you're going to get a, a physical reaction. And you're going to maybe attack the dog. That's not going to meet your needs, <laughs> especially if it's a love and be loved. Could be a survival. People feel very strongly about their animals. And so there may be some, some repercussions from that. The, the long story short is that that belief that all dogs are vicious may not be a damaging belief, but it's not a correct belief. It's not a, a complete belief. It's not a helpful belief. So, and that's another way to think about it. Is these are, some of these beliefs are not helpful. And so it takes, it's really interesting if you, if you, take some time to self-reflect. Examine. What are the beliefs on your belief window? And this could be true at work. What are the, why am I behaving the way that I am at work? What needs am I trying to meet based on my beliefs? And the things that get really interesting is when you can figure out what your beliefs are, you can predict what your behavior is. So if I know that my, one of my beliefs is to get the best deal possible, and I've already established that that is not a complete, it's not a helpful belief. And so I can catch myself. I was at a, at a conference a couple of years ago and I wanted, um, I wanted to get a good deal, but I also wanted to have a, an amazing culinary experience. I wanted to have dinner that just was outstanding, but I didn't have a car. So I needed to find something that was close to the hotel. So I pull up Google Maps, I pull up Yelp and I'm looking at things. It took me two hours to find a restaurant and I still couldn't decide which one I wanted. So this belief that I needed to have the best culinary experience, not a, not a a helpful belief because I wasted so much time. And then how do I even know if it's a good, a good experience? I had to go off of Google and Yelp reviews and what somebody else puts on Google or Yelp May not necessarily reflect what my experience is, and so as you catch some of those beliefs in your own mind that are not helpful, that are um, not—they're valid, but they're not helpful. So we'll we'll go with that. These beliefs that are not helpful, that are maybe not complete, then that is um, something just to be aware of. If you can predict, if if you know your beliefs, you can predict your behavior, and if the behavior is not going to meet your needs long term, then go back to the belief. And we can, and that's something that's we could work on. If you wanted to work with me as, as your coach, I could help you with some of the beliefs and figuring out what is a better belief, what's going to be a more helpful belief that you can have, that you can work from. But if you know your beliefs, you can predict the behavior. If you observe behavior, and this is where it works really well with other relationships. If you observe somebody's behavior, because you may not necessarily know what their beliefs are, but if you can observe their behavior over time, you can predict the beliefs. You see what they do in different circumstances. You can make a prediction about their beliefs. My wife and I, for example, we've been married for for almost 34 years. And I happen to know some of her beliefs, but if I had an observation over time that every time she goes to, and this is something that happens, and she may listen to this. And so she could tell you that this is true. Every time we go to a restaurant, if she handles the menu she will wash or sanitize her hands afterwards because her belief is that that's important to minimize the this, this spread of of germs this is not something that started with covid it happened before it actually i think happened when she was in nursing school that uh, she became much more uh, she calls herself germ aware and so if she has this behavior that every single time that she's going to wash her hands if i happen to see something where it could be it could be something like um, a server comes by and picks up her glass around the uh, the drinking rim of the glass. I know based on her behavior that that uh, sanitization, hand uh, hygiene, germ aware that's important to her, and so I can predict that she's going to have some kind of reaction. I may not necessarily predict exactly what the reaction is, but I know that that's going to be something that's going to be bothersome for. So think about this in your relationships with the boss or with coworkers. If you observe their behaviors over time, you can predict their beliefs. And if you know their beliefs, or if you have a really good idea of what the beliefs are, you can predict their behavior. Now, this can be super fun. (laughs) I'm a button pusher. I love pushing people's buttons. And so um, here's a scenario that, uh, that may be hypothetical, maybe not. Suppose you observe that your boss is super concerned about the image that you present. Make sure that you're dressed in business casual. Make sure that you're not wearing um, casual shoes. Make sure you're wearing dress shoes. Make sure that you're uh, on time for meetings. Make sure, oh, we're meeting with the the higher-ups. Make sure that you're dressed maybe a little bit nicer. So all of these different behaviors may point to a belief that image is critical. And this belief may be designed to, the purpose of the belief may be uh, for survival. I want to keep my job. I want to make sure that I'm impressing the higher-ups. It could be to feel important. If I'm dressed better, or if my team is dressed better, then maybe that reflects somehow on me that I'm a better manager. Because look at, my team is, they look much more professional than The other team, it could be variety. Could be that uh, I want us to look better than we do on a normal day if we're going to an important meeting, whatever. Maybe not to love and be loved in that kind of environment, but you can see how the behavior over time, the things that you can observe of somebody, can help you identify what the beliefs are. And if you have a pretty good idea of what the beliefs are, then you can predict the behaviors. So if I know, for example, that my boss is an image-conscious person, image to him or her is important, that it's going to be important to my boss that I present a professional image. If I have a scruffy beard, then that may be something that the boss addresses with me. If I need a haircut, which I'm getting close, (laughs) if I need a haircut, maybe the boss will address that with me. If I decide that I'm going to wear maybe a a nice t-shirt instead of a polo, maybe I'll hear about that. If I decide to wear jeans or dockers instead of slacks, maybe I'll hear about that. And so for somebody who likes to push buttons, there may have been times that i might have done <laughs> something like that, just to push buttons just to uh, to trigger things I did that for my own personal entertainment um, just because and and it was um, just a reinforcement that these are beliefs that the boss has now beliefs are not right or wrong they're um, helpful and not helpful they may be um, complete or incomplete, but if you have a belief that is not If you personally have a belief that's not helpful, then talk through that, work through that. If you've got somebody that you work with, could be the boss, could be a peer, could be, um, one of your employees, it could be a a spouse or a parent or a child or somebody in, in a different kind of relationship. You can't change them. You can't change their beliefs, but being aware of the belief that they have or beliefs that they have may make it easier for you to understand where they're coming from. So as it relates to the boss, sometimes you've got a tough boss. Maybe the boss believes that it's his or her responsibility to make sure that you get your job done so you can keep your job. That's And and the way that that gets into, the behaviors that that turns into are miserable. But it's based on a belief that the boss is trying to help you out. So... Um, this can be, this can be really powerful at at a minimum. It's very interesting. So that's the behavior model. That's the behavior model that has uh, helped me really get a good feel for how different people are, um, how they're wired. Sometimes it makes it easier for me to understand that. And it has helped me know what, um, what I can count on, what I can expect, what I can, um, maybe not expect based on the, the beliefs that the boss has on, the, uh, on his or her belief window. So that's, that's my thought for this week. Hopefully next week we can talk about is it time to break up the bad boss? Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bad Boss Podcast. We hope you found it helpful and inspiring. Remember that relationships are a work in progress and making mistakes is normal. And if you want to have a better experience with your own bad boss, I'd love to help. Visit my website, kenwilliamscoaching.com and download my guide to surviving the boss from hell. I've also put a link in the show notes. Don't forget to follow and share this podcast with others who might benefit. And until next time, don't forget to spread untoxic positivity everywhere.